This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. everyone. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Now, if you've been listening recently, you know that we just wrapped up a, a seven-episode series titled Ready, Set, Think. And we looked at how our internal frame leads us to particular assumptions and judgments. So we were in deep on that. And now we are in planning and prep for the next series. Um, That's going to launch toward the end of April. But technically right now, it's like we're on spring break. So Hannah, here we are, we're on spring break, and yet we're still talking. We we just can't seem to stop. We can't. And also because... (laughs) I don't know about you, but we've got some big things coming up, and it, it feels like we should take the opportunity to talk about them. Um, mm-hmm. So for our family, my kids' spring break actually is overlaps with Holy Week this year, mm-hmm. which I was really frustrated by. Um, usually their spring break comes the week after Easter, so we kind of get through all the Easter activities, and then we can all go... <gasps> And, and, and sort of decompress chill. a little. Yes. But for some reason, the way the calendar fell, the way our society is increasingly pagan, um, they <laughs> had it on Holy Week. So this year, we're going to kind of juggle a few things. Um, we're going to stay closer to home for spring break. Um, and it's not like we do a whole lot for Holy Week, but I think it's just kind of this mental preparation yes. for Easter um, it's that pattern. It's like you got used to having spring break after, and now it's like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Well, here in central Illinois, I've noticed I, I don't have children, but I have friends who have kids, and I have niece, nieces and nephews. They are on spring break right now. So I think that they have detached spring break from uh, Easter observances altogether. So they kind of are doing the split the semester down the middle, and it's detached. And so I wonder how that is for families, where it's it's completely so, like when disconnected I think, from it. When I think of spring break here, it's because it's like actually spring. Like mm, Virginia mm-hmm. is, it's spring. So you're stopping during the spring for your break. But like, I'm trying to imagine... Illinois spring break. <laughs> it's never nice. Is that so like they, it really doesn't matter when they schedule it because <laughs> so we can go away to a place that has spring. Pretty much, pretty much. You, it's like let's all get out. We got to get out of here and get somewhere where there's some sun. We've been joking because the last two days it has actually been sunny. So I'm like, yay for you students. You're at least seeing the sun. Usually it's gray yeah. this time of year. So they are getting at least some now, sunshine. Now do they get um, Good Friday off? Do you know? 
I believe so. Or at least some sort of a half day. I'm not sure. They, they, I don't think they call it that, though. They usually call it some sort of institute day. They mask it okay. because they can't be calling it that any longer. Yeah, we always struggled with that with our kids, whether to take them out. Like when they had the day off, it worked fine. Um, but then we all always wondered, should we take them out of school if it's Good Friday mm-hmm. and they're in school? Like yeah, what kind yeah. of Christians are we if we don't? Mm-hmm. And I felt this like kind of really mixed layer of guilt because it wasn't part of our uh, traditions, like our church traditions. Mm-hmm. And yet, I mean, like, are you really a serious Christian? And you're sending your kids to school on Good right. Friday. So I just found that complicated, like when the rhythms of society were different than some of the signaling that I would need from the church. And because, like you said, because society is becoming less and less in tune with the church calendar, there really is a a divide between how we may want to observe this special time of year as compared to what society is doing. And you might have to make arrangements where you're taking off work and using vacation if you want to observe it in a certain way. Yeah, I think we need some help with this. We do, definitely. We are so thrilled today that we have help. We have help from our friend, Ann Kennedy. She is a writer, and she has been with us before. And we are so thrilled to have Ann here with us today to help us sort through all of this madness. Ann, thanks for joining us on Persuasion today. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. We also want to say up front that Ann is our token Anglican. Yes, we are leaning hard on you today, Anne. Help us. I'm here to help you. (laughs) I I can have at least this job. (laughs) Good, good, good. So for all our listeners, one of the reasons we wanted to bring Anne on is because she um, does live and work within um, the Anglican Church. And I have um, gotten to know her over the last few years, and I've seen that she's very... Um, in tune and knowledgeable about Holy Week. And I felt like uh, Aaron and I talked about, like, we just need kind of a Holy Week for Dummies episode. Like, a mm-hmm. lot of us did um, not grow up in liturgical traditions, perhaps that honored the liturgical calendar or understand what's happening during Holy Week. We kind of have this sense that something's happening and maybe we should give more attention to it if we're truly good Christians, you know. Um, so, we wanted Anne to be able to come on and um, kind of guide us through uh, Holy Week as it has been practiced by the church and kind of what's happening now. Um, so, Anne, why don't you go ahead and give us a little more uh, background on where you find yourself in this conversation and maybe um, your own personal experience of Holy Week? Sure. I Holy Week is my favorite week of the year. Um, I a lot of people in the world love Christmas, but I, I kind of hate Christmas and I pour all my whole self into Holy Week. Um, it's a it's an intense time for the life of the church. And um, as I've gone on in my married life and with children, it's a, it's become an intense time for our family as well. And so the rhythm of the family and then the rhythm of the church kind of join together and make for an exhausting and emotionally exhausting week. Uh, but one that really stands out in the imaginations of my children, especially, and it really forms and shapes the whole life of the church in a, 
a really, I would say fun, but that's not really the right word. <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. fun, like going to <laughs> Disneyland fun. Like you have to really love church and want to be there every day for a solid week. If if you think that's fun, as I do, then Holy Week is for you. Um, <laughs> so, but it's fun in the sense that you, it, it takes your whole energy and imagination to make it go. So, um, it's what, what else should I, what other introductory things should I say? Do you know, does well, everybody know what it is? Through. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you just walk yeah, us through like Holy that. Week? Just okay. give us a brief overview of the days and, uh, what we even mean by Holy Week. Okay. So Holy Week begins, uh, on Palm Sunday. That's, Uh, essentially the first day of Holy Week. And if you only went to church on Palm Sunday and then on Easter, you would get a a sense or you'd get at least a taste of what the week was about and what it was for. And you would, um, you would not completely miss out. So Palm Sunday begins, you begin outside of the church, even if it's cold and you um, have incense and you process into the church with your palms um, and singing and it's very grand and the color is red for uh, the church and for blood of course so the liturgical color is red and you process into the church it's very happy and grand and then almost immediately the uh, mood of that service shifts radically to be about the passion. So you read one or two short um, biblical passages, lessons, and then in our church and in many churches, you read the whole passion narrative for whichever gospel you're in that year. So I think we're in um, Mark this year. Uh, And so I, as I'm sort of the liturgist of our church, I run around in the weeks before Palm Sunday and I get people to agree to read certain parts just from wherever they are in the congregation. So Pilate and chief priests and Jesus and the narrator, um, everybody, we read the passion. And then from then on, the service is very um, somber. It's just about the crucifixion. So we try to replicate that change in the crowd on Sunday morning. And the crowd, the congregation has to shout, crucify him as part of the reading. So that's quite moving, especially if you're not used to being in a participatory. It's hard, it's hard for people to shout that as part of the service. Um, so then we have... Um, Monday and Tuesday off in our church, although many churches will do something every day of Holy Week. But our our week really kicks off on Wednesday with something called tenebrae, and that means shadows or darkness in Latin. And don't make me spell it because it's really hard to spell. <laughs> and, um, and We won't quiz you on that. Don't quiz me on that. That is so fun. <laughs> That's my favorite service. I'm going to go ahead and say that every single one of these services are my favorite service, so I'll just repeat myself <laughs> over and over again. Um, and that is a lit- that's a liturgy of the word again. There's no communion. Um, the church begins in light, and then um, th- this is a service that my husband and I just do 
together. We don't have any other people on the altar or serving. He reads the lessons and I put the candles out. So there's 17 candles on the altar. And he reads um, most of the Psalms, most of the readings are Psalms, the ones that specifically refer to the crucifixion. So Psalm 22, certainly. And then a portion from Lamentations, um, the long section from John, the feet, the washing of the feet. Um, basically, they're they're read with no commentary. They're just, we read them. And as he reads them, I put the candles out at the end of each reading. So that the finally the church ends in complete darkness. There's one candle that I take out and then I throw a bucket of metal tools at the wall as hard as I can to make a huge, horrible noise, sort of a cataclysm. Um, and then I bring the candle back in and everybody leaves in the dark in silence. So that is very exciting and it's great when my noise works really well sometimes I miss the wall and then it's not as great <laughs> so and so then do you try to do it again or you just no leave it I be? just have to wait for another year um okay to redeem yourself to redeem myself <laughs> and I also I'm not supposed to I'm everybody's supposed to leave in silence but I like to dance on the stairwell and like at least find out from one person if they thought my noise was okay and then, and then we all go home and I try not to ruin the mood. So, um, <laughs> that's really fun. Um, and it's great. It's kind of scary for kids. You know, we try to bring kids and it's hard. Oh, cause the congregation holds candles at least for the first part until all the lights go out and then it's just dark and you're mm. just listening to the scripture read in the dark. So that's moving. Then Thursday is Monday, Thursday, and the word Monday comes from mandatum, which means commandment. And it's for the, the, when Jesus says, this is the commandment, the new commandment that I give you, that you love one another, that service um, is sort of formed around the last supper and the washing of the feet. So there are two elements. It's like a regular Sunday morning service. There's a readings, sermon, and then um, before communion, you, the priest or the pastor of the church washes feet and we don't coerce people. You don't have to have your feet washed. There's a lot of anxiety. <laughs> people, um, can be anxious about having their feet washed. We do try to make sure that one or two people are willing to come up. And then usually we have like a long line of children because every child wants to have the pastor wash, um, their feet. So that's also quite moving. Um, and, uh, we just have music, a little bit of music during that, but then, uh, after communion, all the children in the church are invited to come up and we strip the altar, uh, as kind of a symbol of the stripping of the body of Jesus after his, um, crucifixion. And so we take everything off the altar um, all the cushions from all the chairs, the candles, all the books, every scrap of paper, um, everything for communion, all any everything goes away. In some churches, they will um, scrub the altar at that point. You know, get um, have the children come and like just scrub the altar with water and soap. But ours is not. That wouldn't go well. <laughs> the way our setup is, so we and then we while that 
is being done, the congregation um, will sing or say, I think it's Psalm 51 or Psalm 22, depending. Um, and while the children so are are stripping it. So it's quite solemn, but also quite exciting because, you know, you have little kids tottering around holding sacred objects. Um, so it's, it, that's really great service. Then Friday, Good Friday, I come in early and I veil all of the crosses with black. So I put um, this sort of sheer black cloth over every single cross in the church. And then at noon, there's something called the Liturgy of the Hours, where there's no communion, but we read um, Isaiah. And I'm not really good on references, even though I do this every year. Um, Isaiah 53, I think. And as again, the Psalms. And there's a sermon. And then everyone leaves in silence after that. And then in the evening, we do the Stations of the Cross, which I think people are much more familiar with, where you walk around, we walk around our building, and we have pictures of each station on the wall, and we read, um, we have a sort of a Protestant version of that, so we don't do, we just do scripture readings, and um, when we come to a station that is sort of more traditional, like if so, somebody wipes Jesus's face and you don't have that in the Bible, we read something from the Bible instead of that. Um, and that is crazy because you have kids careening around the church building with candles and <laughs> lighted candles, potentially setting each other's hair on fire. That one's a little more stressful. <laughs> um, I was going to say, this sounds intense. It is intense. So <laughs> It is a lot of yeah. fun. It's like for children, especially, it is so much fun. And, um, but parents are tired at the end of that one because it's a it's a long walk around the church with candles. Um, and then you go home and you sleep. And then Saturday, our we do the Great Vigil of Easter, which we have to wait until sundown. So depending on when you know where we are in the year. Sometimes it's an earlier service. We don't wait for late at night because we do want children and families. So this year, because of when the sun sets, it's going to be at eight o'clock, um, which means we won't really be out of here until 1030. And then we'll turn around and come back on Sunday, you know, Easter morning. But the vigil begins again. It begins in darkness and we light uh, fire. We have a sort of a pot and we have coals in it and right in the middle of the church we set it on fire and then we light the paschal candle from that fire and sing what's called the exultet which is the most ancient christian hymn that there is of the church the the hymn of easter the paschal hymn and uh we process around the church with incense takes a long time and then we read it's very long we read three Old Testament lessons with a song after each one or a canticle or a psalm. And one of those lessons always has to be the Exodus story because the whole service mm -hmm. is a memorial of the, of the Exodus and, you know, the people rising again out of the Dead Sea to life in the promised land. And then 
after that, so that's when everybody's holding their candles and trying not to fall asleep while they're hearing long Old Testament <laughs> lessons read. And again, children with candles makes it exciting and fun. And then the lights go on and you sing the Gloria, which is a really mm-hmm. cataclysmic, joyous moment. Many churches will ring bells at that point. And then um, then there's communion and um, you come back the next morning uh, to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) The summary of all of these services, I I feel um, like mentally, emotionally stimulated just hearing you describe them. And I have to admit, I'm kind of jealous because that the intensity and the richness of all the different things going on, that's not been my experience. And so I, I'm i am now curious, and I wish I could kind of come and visit you over whole Oh, my word, and, you should and come and, and join yes, in. Come and join in. I think it's a, it's a really moving week. And um, as for my children, you know, they kind of plan their whole um, – lives around it like who's going to serve on the altar that week and who's singing in the choir mm-hmm. and um and then at home because it's so intense we really scale back so it's it's kind of an interesting um juxtaposition we only eat junk food in holy week because we don't have time to cook so we eat pizza and i am definitely coming <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then like i think you are supposed to be fasting but you know, we eat junk food and sleep in, and then get up and go to church at night. And um, mm-hmm. so it's a very different week, and um, it really stands out. It's formed and shaped the the spiritual lives of my children in a really mm-hmm. um, fun way. Again, I keep using that word, but I think it only means that for me. <laughs> you mm-hmm. have to really well, love being in church. I think one of the things you're drawing out, though, is how these kind of practices and rhythms shape us. And your children will grow up only ever knowing Holy Week this way, right? Um, and it will be natural for them to continue that kind of practice on into their adulthood. Did you grow up celebrating Holy Week? I did whenever I was in the United States. So my, you know, I grew up in West Africa and um, Easter was a big deal in Africa. You would stay up all night um, dancing, and um, and then the Christian community would eat pork to show their Christian faith over against um, Islam. So that was um, a big part. Eating pork on Easter was an important part of your Christian faith um, where I grew up. But then whenever we came back to America, we would launch into Holy Week and the services. And I was always on the altar or in the choir. And, um, I would volunteer when other people didn't want to do it. I liked being up in the middle of it all and seeing what was happening, uh, was fun. And it, it, it's a, it is, it, the, the community of Christians narrows down at Holy Week because most people can't, you know, it's a long week and there's a lot going on and people have lives and have to work. So you end up with this sort of tight knit group of a handful of people who make it all the way through from Palm Sunday to Easter together. Um, and it's a, it's very moving. It, it, it sustains you spiritually for the rest of 
the year a little bit. As you are describing this this rhythm and the draw to really set apart a whole week to have these different observances and 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 rituals and patterns, I look at that and I think that desire that I'm feeling, I, I said, oh, I want to come and, and visit you during Holy Week, that desire that I'm having, I think that's common right now because so much of our lives are um, kind of on one, um, kind of like they're on one level, like they're all the same all the time. And our, our spaces look the same all the time. There aren't sacred spaces. There aren't sacred times in our lives. And so when you are talking about this Holy Week and how it's set apart and it has distinct um, traits and characteristics, that's what's drawing me is that, oh, it is different. It's significant. And I think people are longing for that, to have something that is designated as holy. And I wonder if that is why there has been such a push as of late people are more interested in liturgy. They're more interested in observing Advent and Lent. And I, I wonder if there will be a, an equal increase in interest in observing Holy Week in the coming years. So I'm, I guess I'm curious, as you see um, people who don't traditionally come from this liturgical background, their interest is growing, even if they're not part of a, a high church tradition. What are you seeing with people trying to adopt some of these practices and their interest? Do you observe that? And and do you think that's good? Do you think that people really should just move to a high church tradition rather than try to adopt it themselves? What What's your take on all that? Well, I think everyone should drop everything and become Anglican. I mean, that's... that's uh, <laughs> done. Done. <laughs> it's, uh, um, well, I have a, a friend who wrote a really great little book called Let Us Keep the Feast, where she describes the church year, and she gives really practical um, practical suggestions for how, if you want to do this at home, you're not in a liturgical tradition, what would you do? What would it look like? And she, she explains uh, each festival, each season, and then she gives you know, if you're, you're at home or, you know, supposing you're a young mom and you can't get out, you know, like it's just too exhausting and you can't observe the feasts as the, as the church is around you, what can you do at home? That's um, a little more accessible. And at the end of each chapter, she has a, a good long list of, of practical suggestions for what you would do at home um, and how to learn about it if that's not part of your tradition. And I do think, I think it's a hugely important issue as you know, we're saying in the beginning, uh, we're not allowed to have a lot of markers of Christian faith that's being erased from the public square. How do you in your own life mark yourself out as a Christian? Well, one way to do that is to live differently from the world's it with different rhythms, um, different foods, different um, ways of spending your time, uh, and of the, you know the Anglican answer to that is to have um, morning and evening prayer. You can do that at home. Um, that's liturgically set. 
with the readings of the church. So you are reading along with the whole body of faithful people, even if you're doing it in your own homes. Um, to, you know, spend your time differently by going to church rather than, you know, all the things that we're invited to. Um, and, and for one week to walk as intensely as you can in the way of Jesus, in the way of the cross, that's a, you know, that's a, that's the call of the Christian. But how do you even do that? Um, the church helps you. So I think I would welcome people of any tradition to look at Holy Week, adopt some of the things, go to a church, a service at another church. It doesn't mean make you a bad, it doesn't mean that you're going to rush off and leave your church forever. But if you popped into a local service, if they had something, a Stations of the Cross, it's, um, it's a really rich way to encounter what Jesus did with all your senses and um, the church helps you get there. You, you know, you don't have to imagine it. You can go and walk in it day by day, just for a short time. I think it's really good. Um, you know, you can do this even if you're, well, I'm trying to think of other denomination names and I have forgotten them all. <laughs> there are no other when you're Anglican. There are no others. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that strikes me um, as I have kind of come into awareness of um, my own tradition, and I think one of the things that happens for a lot of people is you grow up in a tradition and you don't realize that it is a specific culture. Like you just think that's church. That's what Christianity is. But as you grow into awareness of the things that make your tradition unique or sets it apart from other Christian traditions, one of the things that my husband and I have realized is that we do have liturgies. Um, every tradition has practices that shape you. And even in our, we're Baptist, low church, um, evangelical. And one of the traditions in our background would have been like a week-long revival or week-long missions conference. And so you have this intensity of showing up at the church every week, but it was very much driven by the theology and the vision of what the purpose of the church was, right? So it's the go get people saved. And so the revival services, you showed up for eight days straight. I, I remember my childhood, two weeks a year where we had eight-day conferences at our church, um, and you showed up. And they were exhausting, absolutely exhausting. And what I've seen in my own practices is that churches are not doing that as much anymore. They're not having revival services. They're not having these extended conferences for a lot of different reasons. Some of them are pragmatic and they're saying things like, well, it's just not, it doesn't work in our culture. People are busy. They don't attend. Um, but what has happened is nothing has replaced those practices. And so I do think some of the appeal of a more traditional liturgical calendar is the fact that our own traditions, the liturgies of our own traditions are falling away and people don't, don't have these built into their lives. And, and what I have wrestled with is exactly what you said, Anne, that you need something to mark your life as different. You need not only your, um, the things you proclaim to be different or the uh, values to be different, but you have to move through the world in a distinct way. And you have to be able to say, my time is used differently. My family functions in the world differently. Um, and the loss of having communities that together 
are, are saying that. Like, we show up for these services at this time or these places has left a, a significant gap, I think, especially for um, those of us who grew up in lower church kind of context. Um, and so then for me, it becomes a question of, well, what habits or liturgies do we need to pursue and to take into our life? And as much as I would like for it not to be intentional, I would love to be just part of a community that naturally carries me along with the current of their traditions. Um, I think for Christians, especially for Christian families, we are going to have to give much more attention to shaping our lives a certain way. And whether that means, you know, investing privately in Holy Week or returning to the liturgical calendar, um, we have to understand that there are secular liturgies that are shaping us. Secular rhythms are giving shape to our days and our lives, and we have to find holy ones. We have to find um, ones that mark us as different and distinct from secular society. And I think that, you know, that you can place your weight on something um, beyond yourself. You know, so it's one thing to trust in Jesus for your salvation, but carrying that day to day in the middle of everything and communicating that to your children, if you're making it up, um, I think it's tough. <laughs> you do have to be super intel- um, intentional about it because each thing communicates a lot beyond itself. Um, so I, I've been grateful for a tradition that that carried the, when I was a young mother carried me along, um, I could just step into something that was already going on. And I saw afterwards how it shaped, um, the lives of my children and our life as a family. Um, but one reason why I think it's totally fine for evangelicals to look into something like Holy Week or to adopt practices here and there, you know, piecemeal, um, is because they're not, new you know they're not they weren't made up a few minutes ago which I think American culture loves newness and Mm -hmm. love and is suspicious of things that were you know are a little bit older than a few minutes ago so um I think that's a little that's not necessarily a Christian inclination I think it's good to go back and see what did what have people done for generations um so a missions conference you know that's not a good thing to just throw away without thinking about why it was good and why you had it before um and holy week is one of those things where you you christians have done it for a long time and there are reasons why they do you know why they light a lot of candles and um eat different things and um it's because you're you're you're, you don't know how to connect your body to your spirit um that well (laughs) human beings don't do that very Mm -hmm. well and so the church has said traditionally here do it this way um so i think you know you you should feel free to borrow and and steal (laughs) from (laughs) traditions that aren't your own it doesn't mean that you're gonna you know abandon what you have um the other thing about church is that if you do it for a few minutes, it does become a tradition. 
So, you know, the pastor who wears skinny jeans, that's a tradition in evangelicalism now. Um, so you don't, <laughs> you know, you could think about that. What does that communicate? <laughs> um, but I, so it's, I think it's okay, you know, to go in and look and see what you have. What do you have? What does the church have in traditions beyond your own to see if there, there's something useful in there that you could try it out and see if it works? Well, Anne, this is so helpful to us, and I know it's going to be really helpful for our listeners as well. I I feel really um, invigorated and excited looking forward to Holy Week this year, and I, I will be sure for all of our listeners out there, I'll link up your information and your book and also the, some of the resources you mentioned. I'll get those from you and make sure they're all in the show notes so that everyone can dig in a little bit deeper and, and follow you as well. Well, um, that does it for today's episode, though. Um, as we wind down, um, we would love to have all of you join the conversation as well. So, Hannah, do we have a question of the day? We do. What do you do for Holy Week? Um, have you added practices and liturgies to your life as an adult that maybe you didn't do as a child? Do you long for that kind of practice and rhythm. Um, what do you want to try for the first time this year? So join us um, on Twitter at Persuasion at CAPC. Um, also, you can join us in the members forum at Christ and Pop Culture and share your Holy Week traditions and what you get up to. We want to say thanks to Jonathan Clausen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in our podcast network. You can listen to them at ChristandPopCulture.com or go to iTunes and search for Christ and Pop Culture. All of the current shows will pop up right there for you. We do thank all of you for listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.